from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast Tech Corner. And now, join me in welcoming your host and CISO, James Azar. What's up, Veteran November folks? How are y'all doing? I hope you're having an amazing, amazing day. This time I'm bringing a very, very special veteran. He's from across the pond. So if we have any audio issues or video issues, if you're watching us on YouTube, I do apologize. I blame it on the dolphins. Dolphins are evil, maniacal animals that disrupt our fiber optic lines, undersea fiber optic lines with their sonar, their science behind it. I promise you, somewhere, someone's going to listen to this and start a research and prove me to be true. But joining me today is a fellow CISO, uh, Yusuf Asha. Yusuf, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Yeah, really good. Thank you for having me on, James. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on because you're the first British veteran I have on this month. And so while, you know, um, th- there is one thing in common between the UK and the US, as you told me, which is, uh, you know, we have, what, one day a year to honor veterans? We have two, right? Memorial Day and Veterans Day. But but in the UK, it's one unless it's a World War II memorial, right? Like during World War II, they do a bunch of memorials. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Remembrance Sunday, which is November the 11th. Uh, that sort of that they've rolled that all into into one to uh, to remember and support veterans, uh, all those that served or gave the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of a. Um, I find that to be very troubling from politicians who never a day in their life had to put on a uniform to determine like we're going to honor the people who we just blatantly sent to war or whatever um, with one day a year. Um, but then we'll give, you know, cancer awareness a whole month. Not dismissing cancer awareness, right? Yeah. Both are yeah. very important, but it's also very important to honor our veterans. And I hope that's what I'll be able to do on this um, on this series for the month and hopefully start a trend that every November becomes a uh, veteran November. So um, f- tell our audience a little bit, Yusuf, uh, what branch of the military did you serve and how long you were enlisted for and so forth? Yeah, sure. I, um, I joined the British Army. I was in the Army for... 10 years so uh, during that time I served in the Household Cavalry which is I, I guess the equivalent of your Cav Scouts uh-huh. uh, uh, during that time uh, you know I was a frontline soldier I deployed on various operations um, but then yeah after leaving the leaving the army in 2007 I think it was a long time ago now I, uh, I went back out to the Middle East uh, to do private security as well so you just after 10 years you needed to go back to the desert. I mean, most people leave and really never want to go back. So, no, so, 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 what made you go back? Was the money that um, good? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it had to be. You know, yeah, the money was good. Uh, the climate's good. That's about it. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, as beautiful as England is, I think most people don't know that when there's sunshine in England any day of the week people like stop everything they're doing and they go to the park and they start tanning in the park like it's yeah. it's it's fascinating i remember being in london um one time and it was like a summery may day like it was like you know it was like summer outside it was may and people were out like the parks were just full of people this was pre-covid folks when you know humans could still interact with other humans and you know people were tanning people had their shirts off girls like were were in bikinis in the park tanning they're like ah sun 
Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know, we get about four days of sun a year. And um so did you did you um did you study cyber in the in the military or was that after you left no that was after i left yeah so um i i when i was out in the middle east actually um working as a security consultant and uh, private contractor whatever you want to call it um you know we had a lot of clients or i came across a lot of clients that you know they were, hey what's this about the physical security or the physical aspect and then as the threat landscape evolves, uh, not just in the Middle East, but in Europe and, and back home, uh, start getting more questions about, hey, well, we're safe physically, but what about our data? What about things that we're, we're sending to each other or discussing? How, how can we keep that safe? Uh, and, it, and it was quite a, a revelation for me because, you know, from our background, you know, we very much specialize in the physical aspects of security. Um, but I, I, I noticed immediately these similarities and, we spoke before about you know when you join the military and, and you're in a frontline unit it's very much drilled into you uh, defense in depth uh, perimeter security uh, all, all these different aspects of uh, you know of, of, of security and then we're also talking about you know the classification system you know hey that's we've lived and breathed that right right so um, it wasn't it wasn't a huge shift in in uh, mentality for me to go down that route uh, and, I, and I guess I started my journey down there to, I, I started with um, 27,001, their lead implementer, just to get my mind in, in that space. And, and I did various qualifications after that, and, I, and I'm now a CISM. But um, yeah, sure, I mean, it was, but, but like I said, the whole, the whole journey, I didn't see that much of a change from the military aspect to the civilian and the information security stuff. You know, that's very interesting. I think your... Um... I think like I've spoken to so many veterans. Um, very few come from combat to cyber, mm-hmm. um, and and I agree with your thought process, right? If you understand military perimeter security and convoy security, I mean, if you think of data transferring from one place to another, I mean, if you were a combat soldier or you served with combat units, you realize like combat security along the route is no different than your data going from point A to point B. And securing it, you go, well, where are all the places where someone could possibly intercept my data or someone could possibly intercept our convoy and and lead to a battle where we're maybe at a disadvantage or could disable us or could delay us or, you know, could cause a loss of life. Um, There's a lot of uh, resemblance to that. That's very, very bright of you to say. Um, Very bright. Because I think, um, you know, for, for people who are in combat, who are listening to this podcast right now and going like, why you know I, i'm a guy with a gun like i don't know how to code did you need to learn how to code no 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 i think i think i think with with my journey especially again with you know the, the thinking behind it of going back and touching on what we just spoke about but you know disaster recovery business continuity all these aspects of uh you know of cyber resilience and and things like that it it's exactly the same as the, you know the human aspect or the uh the uh, physical aspect. So what I took from the military to make me, uh, I suppose, advance through this cyber career was uh, what I found really interesting was a lot of people in the real world, I say the real world, I still call it the real world, uh, (laughs) civilian world, um, very much are almost protective of their role or protective of them themselves. And I come from a team background. So you know what, if what you do in your job, regardless of 
status, rank structure, whatever. If you've got a good point, you're going to tell me and I'm going to take it on board. And if I don't, then hey, I'm a, I'm a jerk. Yeah, I mean, so cyber is 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 very much for, for I mean, again, this is such a great episode, uh, Yusuf. And thank you for volunteering to come on the podcast and talk about this. Because this, this one uh, hits dear to my heart. I mean, I was 35 Lima in the military, which is human intel, um, but I really wanted to be 13 Bravo, which is, you know, a tanker, artillery. I wanted to blow shit up. That's how they recruited me into the military. I was, I was, I was a little bit younger. Than, I mean, they started recruiting me when I was 16. You joined when you were 16 years old. You know, uh, the Queen's Majesty service does not discriminate on age. Once you can drive, you can shoot a gun and you can go to war. Um, but, you know, in, in, when, when, I really, really, really wanted to be artillery, uh, very much so. And when I took the ASVATs, which is the American, the, the American version of, you know, your competency test to realize really, you know, what, what MOS is, meaning what jobs would best fit you, they were like, um, hey, you, you speak languages and you're like way, I don't want to say too smart, but you, mm-hmm. you've got other skills that we want to utilize somewhere else. So... Yeah, you can blow shit up. Um, we'll make that kind of like a backup MOS, but really we want you to be uh, Intel. Um, and so when when I hear of people in artillery or people in cavalry or people in the front line kind of coming into cyber and on the GRC side, so, you know, incident response, governments, governance risk and uh, compliance, um, that's brilliant because that's a perfect place for people that come with the mindset of incident response, of being quick on their feet, of not being stressed under under pressure, of being able to handle that. That's where they will excel in cyber. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you've hit on a really good point there as well that, um, I, I guess from 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 working throughout the Middle East and various other countries and 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 interacting with local people and understanding that human intelligent aspect, that, that human intelligence and human risk in cyber is almost as prevalent as technical risk. Right. You know, if we can understand the, the 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 thinking and the economic and the political reasons behind things, we can better secure ourselves. And again, that's exactly the same as what we would do if we're going into a country uh, for a physical war we'd get that background we'd start thinking in that way you know um how can we win the hearts and minds but in reverse for cyber yeah you're 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 spot on which is um so much of cyber is human and not computer right people think of botnets and ransomware and i'm like well just think of a human who's trying to break into a fort yeah yeah right and, and 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 think of that as being in computer terms and the fort being your network, the fort being your IT landscape and infrastructure and architecture, um, you know, and, and, and the key, uh, what they're trying to get to um, where, you know, in, in military terms, we want to plant our flag. Well, they want to plant their flag on your data. And so, you know, there's there's so many similarities to that. Let me ask you this. Is is the challenge in transitioning from military to civilian difficult in the UK? Meaning, is it hard to find the job thereafter? Is there a stigma around veterans in the UK similar to the stigma that exists in the US? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I think I think we're, we're, we're starting to, to see a, a slight transition in that now. Um, but sure, when I left, it was very much um, either people didn't know what you did in the military uh, or they thought you were just someone that kicked the door in uh, 
or you're a bit stupid <laughs> or whatever. Um, and yeah, great. If we need somebody over here that's going to be, you know, that's going to work all day on the building side, that, that's the guy. Who's going to drive a lorry? That's the guy, you know? Um, but I think I think what we're seeing now is a transition, and rightfully so, that, you know, uh, I, the rank structure in the British Army as a Lance Corporal, for instance, you could be a Lance Corporal at 19 years old and you could be managing, you know, just use civilian term, managing six, seven, ten people in critical tasks, critical security tasks. So why are we not nurturing those people in that, with their understanding of physical uh, security and management of people and, and bringing these these controls in place and this extra education and awareness? Um, you know, I, I've come across really, really qualified, really technically savvy people that can't work with other people. <laughs> and, and the whole thing falls down, you know? So for me, transitioning, Transitioning for me was a was a learning curve in terms of you know you have to almost rethink how to speak who you know the words that you say uh, you got to be careful of um, people's feelings a lot more um, but yeah it was difficult man it was really difficult and and you know I've been out thirteen years and it's still difficult yeah that's um you know it's um a lot of veterans here go through the same kind of challenge a very interesting statistic was. Um, in Los Angeles, 65% of the homeless population is veterans. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, we've got a, a huge veteran homeless problem in the UK. Um, and I think that, that where we struggle to fit in, um, and I hate to say this, but yeah, we do struggle to fit in because, you know, let's take information security and cyber, for instance. Say there's uh, a, an incident going on. Um, we disregard the clock. We're there we're present and we're going to see this through. And if that means, hey, let's walk out of here at, at sun up and go for a coffee, but we've done it and we can all high five outside. Whereas I think, you know, a lot of the civilian population, and I'm not, you know, broad brushing people, but uh, hey, it gets to five o'clock. Well, I finished. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, the, uh, the, the, the work ethic, the dedication, um, and I think the stamina, right? Like basic training beyond teaching you how to do push-ups and run, all of those are meant to develop a kind of stamina that you never lose, no matter how fat and bald you get as a veteran, right? <laughs> no matter what you go through, that stamina still uh, is still a part of, of 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 what you do. So, so, so let me ask you this: um, um, Tell us a little bit about what you're doing today. You're obviously a CISO. Um, was it kind of did you mature to the CISO role? Um, and, and what was that process like? Yeah, sure. So um, for myself, I started off obviously in the physical physical security arena, but then I moved to risk management. So I, I got quite a few qualifications and uh, and studied academia and on the route to being a risk manager uh, and understanding risk. And then the information security staff. Uh, and then I became an information security manager at a, uh, at a global company. Um, which was really, really good, uh, really great. Opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. Um, but what I found was what what carried me through. Maybe you know there were, there were people there that, that had done longer or understood it long, uh, better, but they didn't have, I guess, that veteran mentality that we have. That you know what, if I don't understand something in a meeting today, I'm going to go away. I'm going to learn it, and next time I'm going to tell you how it is. You know, uh, if you ask me a question. Sure, oh, I'm going to say, hey, leave it with me to the end of the day and I'll get back to you. And I'll get back to you with a proper answer. Whereas I think a lot of people around you sort of are quite happy to go, well, that's not my job or I'm not sure. So 
by having that sort of veteran mentality or that military mentality, I, I very quickly progressed. Um, and it was, and I guess, you know, I, I could go into a meeting and, you know, what we're used to is that, is that day in, day out, there's somebody on your team or a team, uh, you know, the company's a team in my eyes, regardless of department. But, you know, somebody on the team says, hey, we're struggling with this. Well, if we've got spare resource or we've got spare time, let's jump in it together, even if it's not my job, let's fix it. Whereas I think everyone else around me was like, hey, that's, that's, that's a separate budget. That's somebody else's problem. And that doesn't work for me. Um, that's not who we are. So I guess that propelled me forward um, in, in terms of career where I, I got a good name. Um, I got a lot of support from higher up and also through leadership. I got a lot of support from, from people that I was responsible for. Um, and uh, yeah, it just naturally progressed then into that CISO role. That's, um, you know, that's how long did it take? How long did that journey take you to become a CISO from the moment you entered InfoSec until the moment you, you had the official title of Chief Information Security Officer? How long in years was that journey? I guess five and a half years. See, and that's, I think for a lot of people um, to, to, to kind of take that in, that's, um, that's really doable. And I think that's a really fast path, by the way, that, that shows a lot of, um, a lot of dedication and, 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 and desire from your end to really kind of master InfoSec. Um, I had on Kurt John, who's the uh, CSO for Siemens, and he was a pen tester in 2010, and he's been a CISO for, I think, about three years now, so four years um, just about. So yeah. it took him about six years to do that journey, and Kurt's brilliant, uh, very similar to you. I mean, same mindset of, you know, kind of um, – stepping outside the box of the traditional IT and starting to look at cyber as really what it is, which is a chess match, which is, you know, you can look at a map and realize where things are happening. And you can look at a map of a network and also realize, oh, we've got seven APIs for this one data set. Well, here's a problem. Let's talk about that for a minute because, you know, I mean, I, I personally feel if it wasn't for COVID this year, API would have been the biggest threat vector in cyber. But I think COVID yeah, brought yeah, phishing and denial of service back and kind of postponed the attack on APIs. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, that what COVID has done is brought that economic risk in that, you know, people are losing their jobs. People are, you know, are falling on hard times. So with the phishing campaigns, etc. And I'm not just saying, hey, you know, the, the, the people are doing these phishing operations are, uh, pe good people that have fallen down on the look. I'm not saying that at all, but it's going to add to that. It's going to add to well, you know people that with a technical standing are going to start looking for money elsewhere. Well, if you think of how these threat actors operate, right? If I know mm -hmm. that um, you know, let's take this to combat terms and we'll we'll translate it into cyber. Yeah, I'm liking this conversation yeah. because you might be one of the only people I can have this conversation with, right? But if I know that there's a list of people that can give me information that can help me win my war, right, that can help me infiltrate more organizations, right, I'm going after that piece of data. So if that data somewhere on base, I'm going to try to infiltrate the base, whether it be through the local trucking company that's authorized to drive on base to bring supplies and I'm going to gather some data or whether it be through a surprise attack or 500 other ways that I can really infiltrate to grab data. 
Well, what COVID has done is it's created a level of panic and it's created a level of awareness and a level of where people who are doing well in COVID, meaning they still have a job, they're still able to work, want to help the people who are less fortunate because they're part of our community. And that's what community is all about, right? Mm -hmm. If 50% of your community falls on hard time, you no longer have a community. You now have a division of wealth. Um, and, and that's not always something positive for your community because typically either those houses get foreclosed on and then your property value goes down and then there's a snowball effect that that's very hard to stop once it starts or you support your community. And so we want to help. And the threat actors take advantage of that with phishing emails that lure you to click on a bad link, that lure you to download a malicious document, that lure the, the human as a whole wants to help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what I always tell tell my team is, you know, don't just look at don't just look at the threats as a as a one dimensional thing, you know, that everybody that's on the other end of that computer, everyone's on the other end of that plan or that that campaign, they have a story, they have a motivation. And if we don't try and start thinking, you know, it goes back to the military, think like the terrorist, you know, think right. like the bad guy. Uh, and once you start putting yourself in those shoes and think, hey, you know, I've got to feed my kids. Well, if I've got to feed my kids, nothing's going to stop me. Right. So if you can understand that mindset and then look at what you do as a, as a company or, or, or um, you know, an organization, whatever you do, and if you see something that could be of value to somebody else, then you've got to protect that and you've got to use that mentality to protect that. Yeah, you've got to find a way to, to build up your defenses and really, um, um, really build a plan around you know your your data your community and we see that a lot right now i think there's um um you know being october's national cybersecurity awareness month right and we're kind of um at the tail end of it you everyone knows i'm pre-recording these episodes and if they don't they just found out you know um cybersecurity awareness month to me is outreach not within our community it's outreach to people who aren't cyber savvy right it's going out to speak to the elderly to young parents with who are giving their kids smartphones at the age of seven you know like Mm -hmm. that to me is mind-boggling like my kids you know um i've got one daughter who's 15 she's you know she she's already in the in the social media world but i'll tell you one thing my, my next set of kids they ain't touching a phone till they're 18 like they'll have a phone but they're not having any social media accounts until they leave my house and go to the, go to college but at no point in time are they going to get screen time no and i think this is one of the the most interesting things about i guess our industry is that you know you speak to um, some of the people that operate at, at a higher level in, in within cyber and information security, and they are almost uh, almost like luddites in, in, in what they do in their private life. You know, if they don't if they don't have to have technology, they won't. Um, and, and yeah, I can totally see that 100%. I think you know cyber security outreach and information security outreach and sharing that awareness is key because what got me into this is you know I'd, I'd been around, I'd been overseas, I'd done a lot of things. And this was the first thing that scared me in a long time. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and, uh, and, and that's what, 
what sort of gripped me. And if that can grip me, that can grip a thousand other people. And, and you know, I almost, you know, did a full 180 in, in, in the way that I looked at the world when I started to get into information security and cybersecurity. Well, because, you know, when I think the one thing about cyber that a lot of people don't comprehend, and I think this is something a lot of CISOs miss when they communicate with their boards, when they communicate with their superiors, is we talk in data terms. And data isn't something that you and I can feel. It's not something you and I can have emotion to. Because what is data? For most people, if you ask them what is data, they'll tell you it's an Excel sheet. It's my Salesforce database. Can you hear me better now? Sorry, folks. We're uh, the dolphins. Darn dolphins. Um, it does feedback on your mind. There we go. There we are. Yeah. So what I was saying was um, most people see... Um, uh, I had a train of thought, and I think I lost my train of thought because we, we got we got really confused. Uh, I lost my train of thought because of that. Oh man, um, I was what was I talking about? I w- now I wish I had a producer. Um, it was about how you describe data. Right, we talk data. We, CISOs, we talk data a lot. But if we started talking finance, if we started talking robbery, if we started talking in terms that people can't comprehend. I think security would be viewed very differently um, within organizations. Um, you know, the idea of you know a record costing you know four hundred dollars in a data breach is BS. The record costs four hundred dollars because you got to report that record, and that's the lawyer fee to report a record, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's very little value in 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 data. Most threat actors today are after money. And if we comprehend that and if we let that kind of sink in and then you go, we're in the midst of the largest battle to stop the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. And if we have that conversation, we have, we will win our battle with security, we'll win our battle with budget, we'll win our battle with, you know, uh, legal not authorizing you to work with the federal government or your local government on security because they think it's too big of a risk that if they know what you're doing that they can come and sue you when that's not really their role they're not you know like sure. like that changes the conversation and and that doesn't always happen it, yeah exactly and i think how i've operated in this areas um i'm very much gone to each stakeholder you know hey i'm talking to someone finance operations to show them how that's going to stop So it's how we communicate these things. And I think that's critical in terms of coping. If you're telling somebody that's on uh, the shop floor um, that this is going to have this impact, they don't care. You know, if you're telling the board member this they don't listen. If you're going to tell uh, somebody on the uh, on the operations front, you know, the risk here is that you're not going to finish this project and therefore it's going to impact you and your, your job because we didn't listen to this risk. You know, they're going to listen. It's just finding that area. Like when I was saying, for me, when I started, uh, you know, I did genuinely scare me. You had my attention. Yeah. 
we're you know, I'm, I'm loving this conversation with you, Yusuf, but we're almost out of time. So let me ask you our my final question, my sign off question for every interview. What's one thing you loved about your military service? One thing I loved. Yes. Uh, the one thing, the one thing I loved, the, the, the travel, travel, and, and and the brotherhood. That's true. Right? Travel, brother. That's okay. You can enjoy both. Um, travel and brotherhood. I think brotherhood's been a consistent one. Um, travel. Uh, I think for a lot of people who 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 enlist is is also a very big one. Um, and and yeah, that's 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 things to love about your service. We'll obviously see behind you. Are those all your medals? Uh, those are uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the left and then uh, my granddad's on, on the right from uh, World War II. Wow. Amazing. So I want to say, um, Yusuf, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. And this has been such an insightful conversation from combat to cyber. Um, I think that is um, for any person who's in combat, who's, who's listening and they go, listen, I'm not a keyboard guy. You don't have to be a keyboard guy. You have to be a strategic guy, and if you're in strategic, we need you in cyber, because cyber is so much strategy and so very little to do with the keyboard. Not dismissing the keyboard, folks. We obviously definitely need red teamers, blue teamers, purple teamers, CTI guys. We need all of them, but strategy is just as important, and so uh, join us in those ranks. Yusuf, thank you for coming on Across the Pond. Folks, that's it for another one in the books. We'll have more episodes tomorrow, each and every single day, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the entire month of November, Sunday through Friday, Saturdays, the Sabbath we rest. Um, but we'll be back with so much more on, on, on uh, uh, every single day this week. Until then, folks, thanks so much for tuning in. Stay healthy. Stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues and get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.